You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Welcome, family, friends, fans, and foes. It's time once again for Never Sleeps Network's Talking Wrestling. I'm your host, Casey Corbin. Thank you for joining me as we go on this journey called Wrestling Life. I don't know what that means, but I mean it. Seriously, thanks for joining us. Thanks for downloading us wherever you find it. Before we get into the issue today, why don't you uh, hit subscribe on the uh, the old uh, subscribe button wherever you're downloading. And if you're on iTunes, please rate, review, subscribe. Every little uh, bit helps the show grow, and growing is important, and uh, we appreciate the love. Remember that if you leave a uh, five-star rating and a uh, favorable review, you will get a postcard sent to you of a wrestler from the early 80s as I have a postcard book filled with wrestlers, and I send them out. Uh, Other fans have gotten their postcards already. If you have not gotten your postcard and you did send in a review, hit me up on uh, Gmail, talkingwrestling at Gmail. Let me get that resurrected. Let me get your address, and I'll send in. We'll find out what postcard you want, and we'll send that postcard out. That would be great if you guys could do that. Every little bit helps. And then... uh, by doing so, we can make this show better and bring in better guests and find better people and just have uh, more resources to our name. Now, uh, this isn't much wrestling talk, but let's get into the talk and wrestling right now, folks. Let's, uh, for starters, I guess we look at the WWE and what they're doing these days. We're approaching uh, Money in the Bank, and uh, it's a fairly good approach so far. I watched uh, SmackDown earlier this week, and it was fantastic. And not only that, in SmackDown news, not just to jump away from that, but why not jump all over? It's my podcast. I'll do whatever I want. No, I won't. I have people to answer to. You know my producer, the big Ross man. I got to answer to him. I can't just jump all over the place. But SmackDown has been bought by Fox Television after been dropped by USA Network. Uh, It turns out now Fox is picking them up. And uh, this is a better move. This is a this is a big move. Fox is one of the major three networks, four networks: ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox. Uh, it's not cable, which USA Network is. And uh, this is fantastic that uh, Fox is uh, going into business with the WWE. Fox is uh, you know wrestling is is scripted and not 100% real, and Fox is the home of fake news. So this is a natural match, I think. I think it's going to be pretty huge for the WWE. Apparently, it's going to be running as its own separate brand, so I've learned. So that's crazy, because they just broke up. They just had a brand split, and now they've reunited, and now they're going to brand split again. But if it's totally different, you know, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. Who's going to go... Every time there's a brand split, I'm always like, you know, how do they split it up? Because certain shows need certain stars. And like John Cena had to do both shows. You know, what's John Cena going to do now? I don't know. But SmackDown this week was fantastic. Daniel Bryan 
Sometimes I call him Brian Adams. I don't know why. Brian Danielson, usually. But Daniel Bryan, what a great match he had with Jeff Hardy. Fantastic match. Solid wrestling. Just a really entertaining match. Yeah, very excited in the whole direction that everything's going. Let's see. Lana's going into the Money in the Bank match after uh, she got over with uh, the fans because of help from Aiden English. Now I know why his name is Aiden, because he's aided in... Uh, Rusev's success, and now he's aided in Lana's success. So Aiden English is a great name for him. Yesterday was Lana Day, or well, we're taping now on Wednesday. This is coming up Thursday. So, but yeah, during SmackDown there was Lana Day. That was uh, pretty funny. What else did we have? Uh, the New Day and the Miz segment was great. I just find that you know Raw still, even though it's there's always going to be good stuff on Raw because it's three hours. But the fact that it's three hours drives me bonkers. So I think the content in SmackDown in a two-hour show has to be tighter. Much like NXT, one hour as tight as can be. And I think that's why probably NXT has the best show out of all three. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Raw also this week. Uh, I enjoyed Raw. I can't wait for this Money in the Bank pay-per-view. It should be pretty good. I still call them pay-per-views because not everybody has a network. And some people do have the pay-per-view. Total Bellas is starting up this Sunday uh, up here in Canada. I'm not sure if it started down the States already, but the whole season is about the breakup. Basically, the breakup is at the end of the season. It's already been spoiled. We know where this season's going. We know the arc. And uh, so this year on Total Bellas, you get to watch the downfall of the relationship between uh, John and Nikki Bella. Then... You know, it's just funny that this is coming out now, right after they break up in public. You know what I mean? It's like, are we being worked? Are we being worked? I think it's a work. See, here's the thing. People used to think wrestling was real. And then when it was uh, outed that people would say, oh, it's not real. People that watch wrestling would get upset because they thought it was real or it was real to them. And then uh, eventually it was outed that, okay, it's all scripted and it's not real fighting. Reality shows are the new wrestling. People think reality shows are cameras just following people and they're leading their lives 100% normal, completely unscripted, 100% improvised, and it's not Every reality show is scripted. Things are set up. Uh, they're told uh, storylines are pushed. They are who they are. They are real people. But everything is simulated and acted out, basically, by non-actors. That's what reality shows are. And because it's a reality show, you think it's reality. But it's not reality. It's more fake than wrestling is and wrestling's not fake and either are reality shows but it's more scripted and it's more planned that's why wwe produce good reality shows because they've been doing reality shows for the entire history of their of existence because that's what wrestling is it's a reality show it's real but it's a show and it's scripted and it's not so i think that uh Obviously, John and Nikki are probably going to get back together because I don't even think this breakup is a is real. I think it's a sham. I think that's the whole season, and you know it just happens that they break up 
right when they're about to announce the launch of Total Bellas the next season, which is about the breakup of the two that just broke up. So how convenient is that? Just ask yourself that. Maybe I smoke too much pot and I build my own conspiracies, but I think we're being worked. And I think uh, the mainstream public is being worked. But look at they're being worked by a WWE Hall of Famer and his fake news. And now the WWE's working us on the Nikki Bella, John Cena issues. Ah, where's Dolph Ziggler? How's, why isn't Dolph Ziggler getting back into this? Or back in and Nikki Bella? He used to date her. There was one episode of Total Bellas or Total Divas. I don't know. I watch them both. But uh, where John, where uh, Dolph Ziggler was promising that he could give Nikki everything that John couldn't. So she turned that down, obviously. But are you going to watch Total Bellas this season? I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? And who cares? And who wants to see it? I don't know. I will probably watch it or follow it. It all depends on how much time I have in my hands. Uh, these days, things are pretty busy with uh, comedy and touring and just wrestling. Trying to keep up with wrestling. Uh, next week, House of Hardcore coming to Napanee. Uh, Talking Wrestling is sponsoring House of Hardcore. Very excited for that. Um, it's going to be uh, a great card. Uh, Badass Billy Gunn is on the card. Uh, the Squad is on the, on the card. Um... Who else is on the card? There's some Angelina Love is on the card. Uh, there's some local talent on the card. Of course, the innovator of violence himself, Tommy Dreamer, is obviously on the card. Uh, it's gonna. I, the card is not even announced yet, but all the wrestlers are. RJ City, uh, he will be next week's guest on the show. I believe he's coming into studio next Tuesday. Uh, he will be on the card, and uh, it's going to be... A fantastic show in Napanee. And then I get back to Toronto at some point that weekend. And on a Sunday, uh, Smash Wrestling's running a great card, uh, a tournament. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. A lot of great guys are going to be there uh, for that show. Um, now, I know you're saying, oh, is this another Casey Corbin solo show? Does he not have anything for us to offer? Uh, yeah, I do have something to offer, and, uh, it'll be coming up pretty soon. I'm just stalling because it's only a half an hour interview, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm just trying to make the show a little bit longer. But, hey, I'm trying to keep it like it's a secret. Like, uh, you know, like, oh, uh, you're not gonna know who it is. I'm not gonna reveal who the interview is with, but if you've already clicked on the issue... Uh, you know who the interview is with because he's the title of the issue. So um, coming up soon, probably in the, minute, the next five minutes, uh, we will begin our issue with uh, Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man. Uh, he's coming up here through Canada on a spoken word performance where he'll be uh, telling tales of his UFC days and WWE days. And uh, he will be doing a question and answer and meet and greet because he wants to meet all of his fans. That is going to be good. He's got about a 10-date tour coming through. And uh, we'll get those dates up with you up as soon as I get them all. I don't have them all. I know most of them. I'm on a some of them. But uh, I don't know them all. So, um, yeah. Maybe more show prep for the next show. Which will happen. But these shows with Ken Shamrock uh, start, uh, I believe, June 2nd. And they include towns like Kingston, uh, Montreal, Ottawa, 
Toronto, um, St. Thomas, maybe London. I'm not 100% sure about that one. Um, St. Catharines. Uh, where else? A couple others there that I can't remember right now. I know, though, June 10th uh, in Toronto, I will be opening for Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man. And that is uh, pretty exciting. Um, you know, because he had a pretty good career at a really competitive time in an era that's regarded as the greatest era in WWE history. Um, you know, he was always on the mid card to upper card and he wrestled a lot of great wrestlers in that time and had some really solid matches and, uh, was involved in two of my favorite matches, uh, that, that I love so much. And, uh, we talk about that. And so, uh, with, uh, with no, you know, with no delay, let's just get into it, uh, and let's get Sham- Ken Shamrock in here, and, uh, we'll ask him, uh, a few questions about what he's going on today, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, Ken Shamrock, get your butt down here. Uh, right now on Talking Wrestling with me right now, i got a special guest, UFC Hall of Famer and WWE uh, superstar legend, Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man, is with me right now. How are you doing, Ken? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for thanks for joining me. Very excited to have you on, and it's uh, great to hear that you're coming up to Canada to do all these uh, speaking dates and question and answer shows. Uh, it's very excited. To, I know I'm doing the Toronto show with you for sure. I think I'm doing a couple others. I'm not quite sure, though. I have to go over my dates, but you got quite the tour coming up. Are you excited about it? I am. I, I've always thought to myself that the fans were always a big part of my success in my career. And I always told myself when it was over and done that I would make time to go out and try to meet all my fans. And uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm making time to go out, be able to do these different events, to be able to meet all the people that uh, supported me over the years. That's fantastic. I'm, I know I'm excited to see you. It's funny. Uh, my dad is not a big a wrestling fan, but uh, he's an old school UFC fan. So I actually got to tell him. I said, "Hey, Dad, uh, guess who I'm interviewing this week?" He's like, "Who?" I'm like, "Ken Shamrock." He's like, "Oh my God, Ken Shamrock!" You know, he was so excited, so excited. <laughs> yeah. But when I uh, interviewed Ricky Steamboat or Ted DiBiase, not so much. <laughs> yeah, right. very excited that I get to uh, interview you. So uh, just off the top, what's the difference between training for? Like, how much of a, of a difference is there between training for MMA and WWE? Well, I think the WWE is a lot of road trips, um, a lot of airplane flights, a lot of meals away from home, and you're on the road, you know, more days than you are at home. I think that's the hardest part, and finding time to train and making sure that you're staying healthy and in shape and focused while you're traveling that many days is really difficult. And the uh, fighting with MMA, basically, um, you spend all your time really uh, at home, mm-hmm. but you're spending it in the gym. So you spend a couple hours in the morning, a couple hours in the evening in the gym. So you spend a lot of time away from home, but differently because you're not on the road. You're in your own hometown training at your gym. And then maybe a, you know, a month, uh, a couple months 
out, you start doing your diet and start getting ready for a fight. And then usually a week before the fight, you leave your home. Yeah, it, it must be hard to get, uh, well, I just even touring as a professional comedian, you know, it's very hard, especially once you're done the show at night, to go find somewhere to find something, you know, actually that's cooked food to eat. And not only that, something that's healthy for you. So I can only imagine the trouble that you guys must go through, you know. Uh, having to be done at like done at midnight, one in the morning, off to the next town, you know. Good luck finding a. It's pretty much just fast food at that point. Yeah, well, we we've uh, <laughs> we were pretty good at hitting the Waffle Houses, so that was probably <laughs> the only thing that was open at the time we got done. <laughs> <laughs> True that. When you came into the WWE in ninety ninety seven, I believe it was. Did you train in a camp like who, who like uh, with Bret Hart or something like that, or how did that happen? Like, well, who did you train for to get prepared for the WWE? Yeah, I actually worked, went to Brett in Canada, in Calgary, and I worked out with him and also with a few other people that they had there. So it was it was fun for me to be able to work with him, get the psychology. Uh, and the one thing that he told me that I took to heart was to, to be myself, be the guy that you are, because that's what people are expecting, the guy from the world of Noel's Bard, be that guy. And so when I came in, that's what I was. I remember I had my first match with Vader, and that's what I was. I was a fighter. I was a guy that went in, and and I played me. Me. I was the character. Well, that's exactly what the people wanted. Like, you know, I I think, uh, you know, not many, not many people have crossed over with the success um, from the UFC or from MMA into the WWE and have had the success that you've had. Like, like I know Tank Abbott and Dan Severn didn't really have the success that you had. However, I just think, you know, your look was fantastic and perfect for the WWE. And all the gear that they gave you or whatever you had, it looked, it all looked good. Yeah, it fit. Yeah, and your moveset was fantastic. You know, there, there are guys that are, that are doing very similar movesets to your movesets to this day. And here we are 20 years later after, after you've been a professional wrestler. And that's a very good sign for being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Did you leave the place that you were at a better place. And I think that is true. And I think, you know, when it, when it comes to the WWE's Hall of Fame, I think just part of it is also the fact that it would be really special to have someone that's in another Hall of Fame as well, like a two-time Hall of Famer in two different, what do you want to call it, fighting sports or, or uh, you know, sort of, you know, just sort of entertainment. entertainment. It's, the, it's all entertainment. At the end of the day, it is all entertainment. So yep. your first match that you came into the WWE, you were the referee of uh, WrestleMania 13's Bret Austin match, uh, Stone Cold versus Bret the Hitman Hart. How much were you involved in the planning of that match? Were you were you involved in the precise details, or were you just basically you know loosely told how to ref a match and then what the ending would be? Like, what was your position in that match? Because to me, that match is the greatest match of all time. It's undoubtedly the best match I've ever seen in my life to this day. And I agree with you. I think it is the best match ever. And basically what Stone Cold and Brett told me was to be me. Referee the match the way you would an MMA fight. And so going into that match, I was like, well, that's going to be odd because I don't want to act like somebody got hit when it didn't look like they got hit. Mm -hmm. And so I was a little bit skeptical going into this match. But after I was in the match and it started out and they started going... I got so caught up in the match 
because it was so real and the guy and they were beating on each other and they were going after each other and I started refing it and it, I, I just I couldn't even notice the difference between being in an MMA fight and that match because I was so involved in that match and they made it look so good that I was caught up in it and when I belly to belly them I literally belly to belly him for real because <laughs> i was so caught up into the match i was like don't you say that to me how dare you man i'll kick your ass that's perfect <laughs> and it's perfect because at that moment you know that's when uh, you belly belly brett and brett cowers he doesn't want any part of you and that's what a heel does is cower and there the the flip is complete and all of a sudden he's leaving and getting booed and austin's going on to be stone cold steve austin like that match is is so important in the history of Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bret Hart. Now there was a no color policy. Did you know that they were going to get uh, that they were going to bleed during that match? No, I didn't. I like I said when I watched it, I just I believed what they were doing and I refed it as accordingly. I like I said, I thought it was one of the greatest matches that I've ever seen, and I thought it turned the uh, the tide of the WCW dominating the, the wrestling wars. And it started going in our direction because people, I believe, thought like, wow, this is the real deal. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed it was. Um, not only that, you were also involved. Uh, your first pay-per-view match was also one of my favorite matches as well. Uh, the five-on-five five at In Your House in uh, Calgary, Alberta, the Stampede pay-per-view. What was that like to be in a match with the quality of uh, talent that was in that match? Because you had pretty much the who's who at the top of the WWE at the time. Like you had the Road Warriors and you had uh, Austin and yourself and Gold Dust, who was a hot property, as well as the entire Hart Foundation. Um, what was that match like? And uh, that arena that night, like you go into that pay-per-view, they showed the cameras are shaking because the crowd noise is so insane. If you can remember, just uh, give me a few words on what that match was like and uh, what the crowd was like that night, if you do remember. I think everybody in that match, standing on the uh, apron, realized that this was historic. This was going to be one that people will remember forever because of the way the people reacted to all those guys in that match. And it was so loud. It was something that I think none of us have ever heard before and realize, like, dude, this is going to be historic. And it raised everybody's level of wrestling when we heard that noise, and we, we felt like, wow, this is this is going to be one to remember forever. So everybody put in their A-plus game. It's just such a good, like, it's just, it's such an easy pay-per-view, just four matches. I can't remember the last time a pay-per-view had four matches, let alone four quality matches with a main event that great. Um, that's not a cluster and doesn't end up being like everything was re- in that in that main event was really really uh, well thought out and uh, well planned and and there was no weak link there. I mean, everybody was really powerful and everybody carried their own weight and they did their own great things. And I thought like the level of the uh, professionalism in the ring at the time with all eight guys was nothing but a game. Yeah, it's truly amazing. Like when Kurt Angle uh, went, now this is a, he's a different era than you. When Kurt Angle went to the WWE, uh, he c- was crossing over from the Olympics and from uh, his wrestling career. So because he was a legitimate gold medal uh, Olympian, when he first joined, he actually told Vince that, well, he can't lose because he's a gold medal Olympian. Did you have any thoughts like that because you were coming over from 
actual real fighting in the UFC and being such a great champion there, did you come in thinking, well, I, I can't lose because this is real fighting? Like Brock Lesnar, like if he was fighting Dean Ambrose, he wouldn't put a mat a great matchup together with Dean Man Ambrose because he said it before, or Paul Heyman has said it for him. He's like, would you believe that this guy could beat Brock Lesnar? So if these guys, you know, who are wrestling, you know, and then Ken Shamrock comes in, the world's most dangerous man, is it believable that, you know, that X Pac or or some wrestler could beat Ken Shamrock? Like, did you have anybody that did not think you were as tough as you are? Did you have anybody try to test you to see if you were that tough or and did you have any problem like doing jobs or losing because of your toughness and because of who you are well when we went in to talk with vince uh we went in and asked him what his ideas were we just didn't go in and and sign and 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 guess what was going to happen we went in and picked vince's brain and said hey listen what do you plan on doing with me because I think that's important when you're, when you're, especially in pro wrestling, when you're going in there, you want to know what kind of ideas they have. And after we talked about the ideas and his plans, I was perfectly comfortable signing with them because I believed that they were going to use me in a productive way to help um, to draw fans and to build the company, mm-hmm. to help build the company uh, with my personality, my character, my no holes barred type attitude. And so I, going into it, I always knew and, and realized that there's the ups and the downs. You're going to have to put somebody over, and that's just part of the business. So I wasn't against it. But I was, I was always cautious in understanding of how things were going and made sure that they made sense, that it would just, just wasn't something that random was going to happen. It had to make sense. And I never had a problem with that. They used me well. I thought they did a lot of great things there. And so I was very happy with the way things were. Yeah, you were in an era which was um, oddly, well, you were in the biggest era they've ever had, and you were in the most star-studded era they ever had. And even the from the from the bottom of the card to the top of the card, it seemed like the writers had something for everyone. You know, even someone as small as like Crash Holly was getting over. And, you know, you look at some of these guys that, that aren't, you know, that you did not think would get over, get over. And, you know, to be remembered in a competitive era um, like that, uh, and especially where you were, because you were in the, the top, you know, the top half of the show. I think that's a testament to, you know, how good of a performer you are. And, uh, you know, that kudos to you for being able to cross over from a sport. Because, you know, like when you're um, learning how to punch guys in the face for real, you know, how long does it take you to realize how to punch people in wrestling where you have to completely pull back and not punch them in the face? Like, how long did it take you to learn a proper wrestling punch? Well, listen, um, I know how to spar. I know how to hit people and not hurt them because I've done it my whole life. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't hard for me. Awesome. So I was able to go in there with M- MMA gloves on and be able to, to hit a guy but just hit him with the glove and not put a lot of power into it, not turn it over. Because when you're teaching people and when you're sparring with people, that's the same thing you're doing. You're not trying to hurt them. You're just letting them know they've gotten hit. The Undertaker is uh, obviously a big, big fan of MMA. 
Uh, did he ever ask you uh, anything about uh, UFC or anything like that, or just at least where to get those gloves because he wants to wear them later in his career? Yeah, you know, Undertaker was uh, really a big fan, and uh, I really appreciated him because he really came in and he started talking to me about – he was smart about it. He was asking, you know, about different matches and how certain things worked, you know, and about how that happened to me when I got beat. And, I, you know, I was able to open up and say, hey, you know, I was a little bit older. I wasn't as quick. And I got caught in some bad situations later in my career. Um, but the beginning, and that, this was after I was out of the, the UFC. He was, we, we'd had conversations before at some events and mm -hmm. stuff. But in the UFC, he never really approached me, even though I knew he was a fan, he never uh, really approached me and talked a whole lot about what I was doing. Uh, I know that he gave me a lot of tips for pro wrestling and how to, how to do certain things and I know one time when we were working together, I asked him about the arm bar when he went into a choke slam, and I said, how would that sell? I said, and he said, no, that would be great. I'd love for you to do it. Well, you know, that was something that I thought that was uh, a courtesy to me because he was, he basically he was a dead man, right? So he doesn't feel yeah. pain. So when I was able to arm bar him and he was able to show that pain, that was something he'd never done before. So I felt privileged that he did that for me. Yeah, that is fantastic because... When someone who's used to no selling everyone, you know, sells to sells to someone new, then it's it's fresh and it's exciting and it's like, oh my god, you know, look at Ken Shamrock is the most dangerous man. He's the Undertaker's sore, you know. It's all it's beautiful. So in '97, when you came in again, we we already said you brought Brett sort of helped you come in and and then you had those uh, you know the nine the those two matches that we've already talked about with Brett when the screw job happened. How did it affect you? Did you at any point think this is not going to be good for me because I'm, you know, one of Brett's buds or like how, what did you think was going on and how did that situation play out with you? I don't know if you did the Raw the next night. I know you did Cornwall two nights later because I was there, but I don't know if you did Ottawa the next night. But um, was there any point where you were like, this is crazy. I got to get out of here. Or did you be like, well, you know, no, I'm. This is my job. Like, what was your uh, thinking going through that when that happened? Well, um, I, I was one of uh, Brett's crew because I trained with him, and he's the one that helped me understand pro wrestling. And and I thought that Vince uh, put that together for me uh, to be able to work with Brett. And so when Brett and this thing happened. Uh, I, uh, Brett asked me to, you know, to kind of come in the locker room when this thing was going to go on, make sure it didn't get out of hand. And so I went in the locker room. Well, then when Vince came in, they, they made everybody leave. And that's when the, the issue happened in the locker room. I think that's when, uh, it wasn't the screw job because that was something that happened in the ring. But it was that point where I felt like Vince thought I took a side, mm -hmm. uh, with Brett. And it, and I, I just don't, I didn't understand that because I felt like Vince is the one that put me with Brett. He had me go to Calgary and learn from Brett. So it was like, I, what, what was I supposed to do? Not listen to him when this guy is the one that's supposed to be my mentor. So it didn't, I, I was a little bit confused on, on what I was supposed to do. Like here's Vince standing there and I'm standing with Brett and, and he's telling everybody to get out of the locker room. And so I just felt really awkward and in a bad place. And I stayed with the company for a long time after that, and I started working and doing a lot of stuff there, and I, I, I felt I felt pretty good about it. But then towards the end of it, I felt like 
they were asking me to do things that weren't going to be um, uh, good for me because of the I had kids at home and you know they're young enough to where they don't know it's not real and so they're asking me to fight China and I teach my kids that you can't punch punch women at for no mm-hmm. reason and here they're going to have me do a match with her and I was like dude I I just can't do that and then they were going to have me uh, act like I was in love with my my sister. Yeah. Um, you know, Alicia Mm -hmm. and, and it was incest. It was incest. And so I said, I can't, I got kids. I can't do that because they go to school and and they don't know it's not real. And they're going to be yelled and screamed at and their dad's going to be called things. Yeah. And what, how are they supposed to act? So I, I, I said no to that. And I think shortly after that, they started beating me, which was okay. I went in and did the jobs. No problem. I, I realized they put me over, they can squash me. And so I did what I was supposed to do, and uh, and I ended up getting out. That sounds very similar to what Owen Hart went through uh, before the end of his uh, well life, um, because you know they wanted all these storylines where they want him and Jeff Jarrett to have a threesome with Deborah or something like that, and he didn't want to do it because of his kids at school and and because he doesn't want to trash his family name, and so then they ended up putting him in the suit, the blue blazer suit, and jobbing him out. Uh, which is unfortunate that they can't come to some compromise when, you know, when you don't want to do something, you know, the answer of like, okay, sort of, we won't do it, but we'll job them out. I don't think that's very fair, but, you know, I'm not the owner of the company. Right. Uh, do you have, now you had some great matches with Owen. Do you have any Owen stories or, or tales uh, from working with Owen? Um, you know, me and Owen were tag teams for a while. We did the dungeon match together with Severn, and I thought, man, he was a class act. He was one of the guys that you could be friends with, and that was a good representation of how wrestlers are supposed to act and carry themselves. Yeah, that's fantastic. I always enjoy hearing, uh, you know, nice words about Owen because I'm a big uh, Heart Foundation fan, and, uh, you know, he was just one of my favorite wrestlers. And uh, I love him, absolutely love him. So it's always nice to hear positive. I've I haven't heard many negative stories about Owen Hart. So, but I'm also a big fan of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And uh, when I see Minoru Suzuki, uh, I think that guy's just off his rocker and crazy tough. And I would never want to run into him anywhere. And you you have a history of of dealing with this guy and fighting with him. Uh, is isn't that correct? Yes, yes. Me and him uh, has had our differences. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 in, in the ring, how like when you guys when you went to Japan before WWE to start um, the uh, the league where um, it was real wrestling. Basically, it was I guess shoot wrestling is what they would call it, right? Yes. And uh, and your matches with him. What were your matches with him like? Um, they were very athletic, very quick, um, and he was a strong wrestler but he didn't have much striking ability. And so, yeah, and those matches I really don't want to get into because there's things there that, you know, I've already opened up and said that I, I don't want to say again. Oh, no so problem. I, I want to stay away from those. That's no problem. Yeah, I want to stay away from those. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Um, I'll switch. I'll ask you, uh, I'll ask you this uh, question. Uh, let me just see here. No, that's pretty much it. Holy jeepers, I went through those questions way too quickly. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fantastic that you're that you're uh, still coming out on the tour. Um, you're hitting Montreal, you're hitting Toronto, you're hitting Ottawa. I believe you're hitting Kingston. I'm trying to think of where else you're hitting. St. Thomas, I do believe. Uh, you have about what, 10 yes. shows, I think, in total? Yes, it's, uh, it's going to be a fun tour, and I look forward to it because 
I've gone to Canada a lot of different times, especially when I was in Calgary training. I've always loved it up there. Who else was in that training camp with you besides uh, – so it was you and there was, I believe, Mark Henry because he was just talking about it recently. But were there like five or six guys? Uh, or Yeah, but Mar- I don't think Mark Henry was there when I was there, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it was just me as far as um, going into the pro WWE. Do you still have the uh, the Lions Den and do you still help train people and stuff like that? Yes, I do. I have the Lions Den, but I don't train people. I do more ministry work and I do uh, these appearances and stuff like that. I also use – the opportunity that I built over the years to um, be an entrepreneur and try to help uh, build young businesses. Mm-hmm. And what are your thoughts towards um, people that are that do MMA and wrestling today, like uh, Bobby Lashley or Brock Lesnar or even Ronda Rousey, who's the latest uh, crossover? I love it, man. I think that you know, if if it's something that you want to do and you think you'd enjoy it, I think you should take the shot. And I think fans should allow people to, even if they fail, to at least allow to follow their dream and be able to try different things and then support them when they, if they fail, then they'll go back to what they were better at and support them. Don't, don't bash them because they want to jump out and try something new. I think that's commendable. You've just answered the next question where I was going to say, and what do you think of CM Punk? <laughs> like, do you think he has a future yeah, in UFC? I, if, I don't know, but uh, he's a tremendous wrestler. Uh, he's already gotten over so people know he's really good. And uh, and they shouldn't shouldn't beat him up for wanting to go into to the MMA and try something different and put himself on the line because not too many other people would take that challenge. So I think he's got some great um, willpower and he really wants to do this. And I think you give him all the opportunity and support him. And if he makes it, great. But if he doesn't, allow him to come back and get back into pro wrestling because he's great at it. That's crazy. And you're still in incredible shape to this day. Uh, do you ever get any offers anymore to get in the ring or into the octagon? No, um, I. You know, it's it's funny that those have kind of dropped off, and it's. Yeah, I think I'm in better shape, especially in pro wrestling, than ninety percent of the guys that get in the ring, and and yet there's uh yeah. So it's kind of weird. I don't know. I they I see a lot of guys getting brought back that are they look horrible. Yeah, and they get in the ring and they just don't look good, and yet here you got a guy like me who's tremendous shape. Still moves well, but yet it yeah it just doesn't make sense to me. So you're saying that a comeback is not too completely out of the out of the mix. You could come back someday and have one more match. Absolutely, I think there's a lot of a lot of unfinished business between me and The Rock and Kurt Angle and even Brock Lesnar as the first as me being the first crossover. There's a lot of opportunity there for some big time matches and and be able to entertain the fans which is what it's all about yeah you know even to pay like i would pay just to even see you face off just uh face to face not even rest not even have a match against brock just to come out you know and uh especially if he went and said he was the best two sport guy like to ever to ever right. you know like that would be you know some boasting that would be perfect for you to come back i really wish uh that you could come back and uh, you know, finish off uh, a WWE year stronger than uh, you know than the way uh, you left. Um, I think you're deserving of it, and uh, I think it would be fantastic to come in nowadays with you know Bobby Lashley there and Brock there, and and even like I said, Ronda there. Because um, one thing is for sure, when you said um, you were just Ken Shamrock, when you see Ronda Rousey come out. And uh, she's all smiles and waving to everybody. I was like, I've never seen her do that at any of her weigh-ins in the UFC. You know, like I wanted her to come out angry and just like serious 
I think they they missed that. I thought they they should allow her to come out and be the fighter. Yeah. Um, and he said they made her to come out and look like a cheerleader. But but nevertheless, even though the opening and all that, I thought she did a great job. I thought for her first time out there and and uh, the big stage, I thought she did a tremendous job. Yeah, I thought she was uh, pretty fantastic. You know, and and that match, I to be honest, uh, that Ronda was involved in at WrestleMania, I thought it was the best match on the card, probably because it went on early. And the card is WrestleMania is so long now that uh, you could have the best match on last, and it would not matter. You're just tired by the end of it. Um, right. So I think card placement is hey, important. Hey, listen, hey, listen, I gotta go. I gotta call. Come hey, on. Ken. Uh, thanks for talking to us, and uh, we'll see you up on Canada when you're up on tour. Hey, dude, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, all the best. We'll see you soon. Well, right. take care. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com.